We'll be reading this morning from Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 5. Isn't it good to hear the Christmas carols again? A lot of folks would like to hear them all year round. We like to get started on them really the first Sunday in December. And we hear these songs, of course, when we start the Christmas season. And then we also read these passages of Scripture as we start the Christmas season. If you tend to mark dates and preachers and so forth in your Bible, you have this all marked up. I usually start here every year. And the reason is, of course, we have these particular passages of Scripture, and we have just so many Sundays that we want to cover them. So I want to start right here in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. Would you stand as the Scriptures read, please? There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. And so it was while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division. According to the custom of the priesthood, his lot to fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And will return many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel. How shall I know this? For I am an old man. And my wife is well advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him. I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. But they perceived he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, he departed to his own house. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me, and in the days when he looked upon me, to take away my reproach among people. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for the Christmas story. We thank you that it's your story, but also we thank you that this story involves us to bring a Savior into the world, to do the work of salvation we could never do. Now we ask that you would cause us to hear your word. 
We know you have a message for all of us today, and we ask that message would be loud and clear that you would take full control of this service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. When you think about the Christmas story, many people will go ahead to the other chapter and start speaking of Bethlehem or start talking about the angels' visit to Mary. The events surrounding the birth of Jesus began long before Bethlehem. These events, of course, began long before the angel came and talked to Mary. Actually, the events surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ began long before these events, really throughout all of eternity. But this is where we start when we begin the Christmas story. And we look at another baby and another set of parents, and there's a reason for that, and we'll look into that. But we want to notice several things as we read through this passage of Scripture that really characterizes the whole spirit of the Christmas story. First of all, God breaks the silence of the centuries in his house. Now we know God can speak anytime and anywhere. And he can reach down and touch us and communicate to us no matter where we are. doesn't have to be on a Sunday. We're aware of this. However, as a nation, the Israel had abandoned God. And repeatedly, through decades, they had rejected his messengers. They had ignored God and they had abandoned his ways. They had totally gone a different pathway than what God had lined out to them as a nation and as families and individuals. They had chosen other paths. They had gone other directions. So therefore, God gave them what they wanted. Because basically, they had a a similar idea than a lot of folks had. God, just leave us alone. Let me live my life. Leave me alone and let me do what I want to do. And God said, okay, you have it your way. And for 500 years, an angel had not appeared to anyone in the children of Israel. The last time the angel is mentioned appearing is in the book of Zechariah chapter 1, 500 years before. The last inspired message was in Malachi, 400 years before. So it had been 400 years, and here was a people who repeatedly experienced a prophet in their generation who would speak to them of the word of God. And for 400 years, it had been silent. And then God sends this angel. It's quite remarkable that this angel has a name. His name is Gabriel. If you read through the Old Testament, all through Scripture, there are only two angels named, Michael and Gabriel. In Jewish tradition and looking in the Scripture, Michael is always the angel that has to do with war and retribution. Gabriel who is mentioned in the book of Daniel, is the one who always brings news of restoration and peace. So when this angel said to him, I'm Gabriel, he knew he was talking about because Gabriel's introduced to us in the book of Daniel. So he verified, uh, let me tell you who you're talking to. I am not just any angel, I am Gabriel, and you read about me in the prophet of Daniel. God breaks the silence of the ages with good news. In verse 19, 
I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to you to bring these glad tidings. Now, there are other English translations that says, I have come to bring you good news. Remarkably, if you do a little homework and you do the study of the Greek word, the same Greek word here is the same word from which we get evangelism. Or, listen to this, the gospel. Gabriel said, I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to bring you the gospel. And the gospel, of course, means good news, good tidings. And he brought the gospel into his house. Now, again, God can speak anywhere and at any time. But throughout the history of the Old Testament, especially when he put this nation together, he said this. We looked at this last week. Several times, I will choose a place. I will put my name there. And that's where you'll come. God's practice through the centuries has been to put his name at a place of worship. And we come to hear from God right here. So that tells us this. You're at the right place today to hear a message from God. Oh, he can speak anytime, anywhere, but he definitely chose this place to communicate with us. And he chose his house to communicate with the children of Israel, with Zacharias, broke the silence of the ages with what? Good news. And good news is what we still hear from God in this place. Secondly, God's hands are always shaping the events of history. Now, if you look at our own modern history of our country, own recent events, you might say, I don't know if I can see God's hand at work at all. And a lot of people despair. They despair. They think perhaps God has forgotten us again. And where's God's hand at work? Well, we often don't see God's hand at work because We're busy looking at other things. This passage of scripture is a classic example. Notice in verse 5, there was in the days of Herod, king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. Who's mentioned in this verse? Herod is mentioned first. Now, all eyes were on Herod. Herod was the king. Herod was one of the most powerful men in the world at this time. Herod has ways of making you notice him. If he wasn't getting attention, Herod was a bad dude and his, uh, his regime was filled with brutality and scandal and corruption. And so all eyes had to be on Herod. He's going to see to it. But notice what is in this passage of scripture. Herod is mentioned once and then God ignores him. Why is that? That was not where God's work was being done. God's at work through history. But often the movers and shakers that capture the attention of our popular culture, that's not where God's working. We look, of course, at political figures, celebrities, athletes, college coaches, all of these people that captivate the news. And we say, I don't see God at work at all. Well, they didn't see God at work either when they were looking at Herod. But God wasn't working through Herod. God was working through other people. People. So God was working, first of all, in the immediate events. Verse 9 says it this way. According to the custom of the priesthood, his lot 
Zacharias' lot failed to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. The immediately, immediate events looked rather random. See, here's how it happened. There were 24 different divisions of the priesthood. And they each served about two weeks out of the year. You had 24 of them. So you pretty well covered the year. 24 divisions of the priesthood. Zacharias was of the division of Abijah. That would be the eighth division. In each division, there were enough priests to where there were 18,000 different priests in the priesthood. One individual would be designated every shift of two weeks to go into the holiest of holy places and burn incense. His job was to clean the old incense out and to carry fresh incense and burn it according to the instructions of the law. And the lot, as we see in the Old Testament, uh, we hear of the Urim and Thummim. These were two colored stones, we believe. We don't know exactly what they were, but they would determine God's will by these stones. And so they would take a stone out of a bag, more or less, and it looked like it was just a seemingly random event that he was chosen. Here's something we have to understand. The odds of him being chosen were so slim. And when you were chosen, you could only be chosen once in a lifetime. Most priests never got chosen. Most priests went their entire lives and never did this. This was a high honor, but it was an awesome task. Why? Because the priest was going into the holiest of holy places. And he had several tasks to be doing in there, so he'd be moving around. They tied bells on his robe, so as he moved around, they could uh, hear him moving. And that way, if something happened and God was displeased and he was struck dead, they would know. And they tied ropes around his ankle so he, they could drag him out. That's how they feared God. Because if the country had done something, they were afraid that priest would be struck down at the altar. So they listened, wanted to be sure they heard the bells ringing. And then, of course, if the worst happened, they had a ways to get him out because nobody else was going in there. So this was a very awesome task, a lot of responsibility. My, what an honor. So the immediate events was God was working so that Zacharias would be the one to go in to the holiest of place. Then, of course, we have the eternal picture here. You read through this passage of scripture and the angel says this. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You'll call his name John. You'll have joy and gladness. Men will rejoice at his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, we read through this and we say, well, he's describing something about the child will be born. That's quite right. However, he's also quoting scripture that was written 
hundreds of years before. You see, the events surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ didn't just happen with the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. The announcement of the birth of John the Baptist was mentioned in Malachi chapter 4 and also in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah wrote these things 700 years before, said, I'll send a messenger before my face, a voice crying in the wilderness. Malachi said he will go in the strength and the power of Elijah, both of these men. So when the angel begins to tell him of the life of this son that will be born, he realizes this is the forerunner. This is the forerunner for the Messiah that was to come. That tells me this. This is why this is so important with the book of Luke. He wanted everyone to know that the New Testament wasn't just stacked on top of the Old Testament, something altogether new and different. The New Testament was woven into the Old Testament because all of these events were foretold hundreds of years before. That tells us God does what he says he'll do when it's the right time. So we understand God's hands are busy shaping the immediate events. God's hands are busy shaping the eternal picture. And then we have the personal attention. In verse 13, it says, your prayer is heard. Many English translations say it this way. Your prayer has been heard. That's because the original language in the Greek, it is a verb structure that, in, that addresses a prayer that was made in the past. The prayer that you prayed in the past has been heard. What was that prayer? Well, first and foremost, it was a prayer for a child. It was a prayer for a child that had been prayed a long time ago. How do we know that? Zacharias says, I'm an old man. I'm an old man. And obviously, Zacharias is a smart guy. He didn't say, I'm an old man and my wife's an old lady. He said, I'm an old man. My wife is, well, she's well stricken in years. <laughs> but what he meant was this. I quit praying for this a long time ago. I'm old. And I knew that this wasn't going to happen. So this was a prayer that had been prayed a long time ago for a child. And Gabriel said, God heard your prayer. God heard your prayer. And he prayed for a child and God heard it all these years. He thought God wasn't paying attention. But you see, there's another prayer that's implied here and implied several different places. When you see people who are blameless and righteous and devout in the Lord. That was a group of people who were also known as the quiet in the land. And these people were constantly praying and expecting the Messiah. Your prayers heard. You're going to have a son, but there's even a bigger prayer here. There's a prayer here about the Messiah, and God's heard your prayers for the redemption of Israel. And all this tells us several things. First of all, God's power overcomes human impossibility. It was impossible. It was humanly impossible for him to think about having a child. Humanly impossible. 
God's power overcomes human impossibility. Then, of course, we look at him and he said, because it's been so long and because of this human impossibility, he said, how am I ever going to know this? I'm an old man. We know there was a spirit of disbelief in here because Gabriel says that. God knows the heart. He wasn't just asking a question out of curiosity. He was saying, I, I, I can't really believe this is going to happen. How in the world can this ever happen? And, and here's an important thing here. Not only does God overcome human impossibility, God's power can overcome our fragile human faith. And so many times with the modern name it, claim it, prosperity gospel, it's this business. Oh, if somehow, someway, you can strain hard enough and somehow muster up enough faith, anything will happen. Like a miracle depends on somehow my ability to come up with enough positive mental attitude. God's power will overcome our fragile human faith because, face it, our faith is fragile, isn't it? Because we are fragile. And despite the fact of my weak and puny faith at times and my, my pathetic confidence in the Lord, he comes through anyway, doesn't he? God works through history despite us, not because of us. You see, our faith is tried, and our faith often falters. Brings to the third point, because life brings to us a mixture of seasons and events. There are the hard days and the sad times, and Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth had seen their share of disappointment. You see, in, in these days, it is disappointing. I've talked to so many couples that, that wanted to have children. And they, they're just year after year, and they're disappointed. And it's, it's, it is a disappointment. It's, it's, a hard, it's a hard emotional roller coaster. In this day, it was even worse. Because if you didn't have children, your neighbors just knew. They just knew there's got to be some horrible sin in your family. And that's the reason you don't have children. So all of a sudden, not only are you suffering personally, you don't have a lot of sympathy from your neighbors because they know there's just got to be something wrong with you spiritually or you'd have these children. So it was horrible. They were seeing some dark days and some disappointments. And, of course, this was specifically to their life. But in general, it was even harder just to get by. Romans were encroaching upon the, the Palestinians, upon Judea. And every town had these ugly Roman soldiers. They were, they were potty mouths. They were crude. They were vulgar. They, they, they came into your town. They could come and live at your house. They could make you give them their coat. They could give you their backpack and make you go a mile with it. I mean, it was a hard life. Taxes were high. Political strife was rampant. Within their own country, they had two political parties. One was liberal and one was conservative. Did you know that? The Sadducees and the Pharisees. Nothing got done because the Sadducees and the Pharisees were so busy fighting with each other. Now, where have I heard that before? They were dealing with the frustration of that. There was corruption. There was hypocrisy. It was just, it would be easy for somebody to get cynical and bitter. And a lot of people were. It was some hard, disappointing, sad times. 
And of course, on top of that, they had no child. They'd seen their share of hard days. But also, there were the happy blessings. The happy blessings in that here he is, well-stricken, an old man. He's almost done with his career, and the honor of a lifetime is bestowed upon him. You remember earlier we said it was a fraction of a percent possibility that anybody would get chosen. There's 18,000 priests, and only one could serve every year out of his division in that capacity. And the lot fell to Zacharias. How happy he must have been. It was the, it was the honor of a lifetime. It was, of course, something that, that just perhaps would just change your family's name. A good time. A happy day. You see, he had the tough times. He had the hard times. But in it, he had blessings as well. Isn't that like all of our lives? The book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, to everything there is a season. And it goes and talks about the good times and the hard times and the sad times and the glad times and the ups and downs. That's life. That's all of us. But here's what we notice. Through it all, verse 6 tells us this. They were faithful to serve the Lord. They saw their share of disappointments, unanswered prayers, hostile neighbors, pointing fingers, whispers behind their back. They also saw their share of the good times and the good times and the bad times. Their life was described by this. They were both righteous before God and walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord blameless. They did their best to serve God through whatever season they were in. What a lesson from this couple. You see now why God chose to just briefly mention Herod and say, oh, enough about him. Let me show you these people. You see, God's at work, but it's not always with the loudest mouth in the room, right? Or on the Twitter feed. However you want to be loud, all right? He will work with the people who are willing to serve him through the ups and the downs and the good and the bad. Now, where we wrap it all up? We wrap it all up by this. You look through the life of Zacharias, it may seem that nobody is noticing your life right now. All eyes are on somebody else, something else, some other event, and there's enough of them to go around. But God certainly is aware of you. And he told Zacharias, your prayer has been heard. God heard you every single time. God's eyes always been on you. He's never taken his eyes off of you. Same thing with you. It may seem that way, but he never has taken his eyes off of you. These events are not only his story. These events are wrapped up in your story. They're wrapped up in your story because God brought about a Savior so that we can face our days with hope and confidence regardless of other circumstances through Jesus Christ. This is part of your story. Do you know Christ as your personal Savior? You see, personal communication with God is all about this passage of Scripture. Two times it talks about prayer. It talks about Zacharias praying in the, in the holy of places. It talks about the people praying outside. And you know in the book of Luke, he mentions prayer more than any other gospel writers 21 different times. I think that tells us 
that when God brings forth the story of history, he really focuses on personal communication with him. Have you prayed about what's going on in your world? Have you prayed about your relationship with God? You're the right place. God will reveal his will to you in his house on his day. And God expects to hear from you. Whatever your need is, why don't you talk to God this morning? Just stand and sing. Rick, what number? Let's turn to number 170.